Hi, my jumping jacklins, and welcome back to my book club. This is episode two of my book club that I am doing for the School for Good and Evil, and chapter two. So let us begin. Chapter two: The Art of Kidnapping. By the time the sun extinguished, the children were long locked away. Through bedroom bedroom shutters, they peeked at torch-armed fathers, sisters, grandmothers lined around the dark forest, staring the schoolmaster to cross their ring of fire. But while shivering children tightened their window screws, Sophie prepared to undo hers. She wanted this kidnapping to be as as convenient as possible. Barricaded in her room, she laid out hairpins, tweezers, nail files, and went to work. The first kidnappings happened 200 years before. Some years it was two boys taken, some years two girls, some years one of each. The ages were just as fickle. One could be 16, the other 14, or both just turned 12. But at first the choices seemed, but if at first the choices seemed random, soon the pattern became clear. One was always beautiful and good, the child every parent wanted as their own. The other was homely and odd, an outcast from birth. As an opposing pair plucked from youth and spirited away. Naturally, the villagers blamed bears. No one had ever seen a bear in Gobbledon, but this made them more determined to find one. Four years later, when two more children disappeared, the villagers admitted they should have been more specific and declared black bears of the culprit. They are so black they blended in with the night. But when the children continued to disappear every four years, the villagers shifted their attention to burrowing bears and phantom bears and bears in the skies. Until it became clear it wasn't bears at all. But while the frantic villagers spawned new theories, the sinking hole, the sinkhole theory, the flying cannibal theory, the children of Gabaldon began to notice something suspicious. As they studied dozens of missing posters tacked up in the square, the faces of these lost girls and boys looked oddly similar. That's when they opened up their storybook and found the kidnapped children. Jack, taken a hundred years before, hadn't aged a bit. Here he was, painted with the same moppy hair, um, pink dimples, and crooked smile that had made him so popular with the girls of Gabaldon. Only now, he had a beanstalk in his back garden and a weakness for magic beans. Meanwhile, Angus, the, posty, the pointy-eared, freckled hooligan who had disappeared with Jack the same year, transformed in, uh, had transformed into a pointy-eared, freckled giant at the top of Jack's beanstalk. The two boys had found their way into a fairy tale. But when the children presented the storybook theory, the adults responded as adults most often do. They patted the children's back, then re- Heads then returned to sinkholes and cannibals. But then the children showed up, showed them more familiar faces. Taken fifty years before, sweet Anya now sat on moonlit rocks in a painting as a little mermaid. While cure, while cruel Estra had become the devious sea witch. Philip the priest's upright son had turned into, grown into the cunning little tailor. While pompous Gulla spooked children as the witch of the wood. Scores of children, kidnapped in pairs, had found new lives in the storybook world. One is good, one is evil. 
these the books came from Mr. Delaville's bookshop. Sorry, bookshop. A musty nook between Batsbury's Bakery and the Pickled Pig Pub. The problem, of course, was where old Mr. Old Mr. Delaville got his storybooks. Once a year, on a morning he could not predict, he would arrive at a shop to find a box of books waiting inside. Four brand new fairy tales, one copy of each. Mr. Delaville would hoppy would hang a sign on his shop door, closed until further notice. Then he'd huddle in the back day after day, diligently copying the new tales by hand until he had enough books for every child in Gabaldon. As for the mysterious origins, or originals, they would appear one morning in shop, his shop window, a sign that Mr. De- Delaville had finished his exhausting task at last. He'd opened his doors to a three-mile line that sank through the square, downhill slopes around the lake jammed with children thirsty um thirsting for new stories and parents desperate to see if any of the missing had made it into this year's tales needless to say the council of elders asked had plenty of questions for mr delaville when asked who sent the books mr delaville said he had the faintest idea when asked how long the books had been appearing, Mr. Delaville said he couldn't remember a time when the books did not appear. When asked whether he'd questioned the magical appearance of the storybooks, Mr. Delaville replied, Where else would storybooks come from? Then the elders noticed something about Mr. Delaville's storybooks. All the villages in them looked just like Gabaldon. The same like shore ca- um, cottages and colorful eaves. The same purple and green t- tulips along thin dirt roads. The same crimson cap, um, carriages with front shops, yellow schoolhouse, and leaning t- clock tower, only drawn as fantasy in a land far, far away. These storybook villages existed for only one purpose, to begin a fairy tale and to end it. Everything between the ending and the, be- and the beginning and the end happened in the dark, endless woods that surrounded the town. That's when they noticed Gabaldon, too, was surrounded by dark, endless woods. Back when the children first started to disappear, villagers stormed the forest to find them, only to be repelled by storms, floods, cyclones, and falling trees. When they finally braved their way through, they found a town hiding behind the trees, and and then fully besieged it, only to discover it was their own. Indeed, no matter where the villagers entered the woods, they would come out right where they started. The woods, it seemed, had no intention of returning their children, and one day they found out why. Mr. Delaville had finished unpacking that year's storybooks when he noticed a large smudge hiding in the box's fold. He touched his finger to it and discovered the smudge was wet with ink. Looking closer, he saw it was a seal with an elaborate crest of a black swan and a white swan. On the crest were three letters. There was no need for him to guess what the letters meant. It said so on the banner beneath the crest. Small black words that told the village where the children had gone. The school for good and evil. And the kidnappings continued, except but but now the thief has a name. They called him the schoolmaster. A few minutes after ten, Sophie pried the last lock of her window and cracked open the shutters. She could see to the forest edge where her father, Stefan, stood at the rest of the perimeter gate guard, but instead of looking anxious like the others, he was smiling, hand on the widow Hornora's shoulder. Sophie grimaced. 
What her father saw in that woman, she had no idea. Once upon a time, her mother had been flawless as a storybook queen. Honora, meanwhile, had a small head, round body, and looked like a turkey. Her father whispered mischievously into the widow's ear, and Sophie's cheek bur cheeks burned. If it weren't for Honora's two little sons, who might have might be taken, he'd be serious as death. True, Stefan had locked her in at nighttime, given her a kiss, and dutifully acted like uh, the loving father. But Sophie knew the truth. She had seen it in his face every day of his life, her life. Her father didn't love her, but she wasn't a boy. Look, she didn't remind him of herself, of him of himself. Now he wanted to marry that beast. Five years after that mother, after her mother's death, it wouldn't be seen as improper or callous. A simple exchange of vows, and now he'd have two sons, a new family, and a fresh start. But he needed his daughter's blessing first for the elders to allow it. The first few times he tried, Sophie changed the subject or loudly chomped cucumbers and, or smiled the way she did at Radley. Her father hadn't mentioned Hornara again. The coward marry him when I'm her when I'm gone, she thought, glaring through, glaring at him through the shutters. Only when she was gone, he would appreciate her. Only when she was gone, he would know no one could replace her. And only when she, he was gone, he would know he'd spawn much more than a son. He had born a princess. On her windowsill, Sophie laid out gingerbread hearts for the schoolmaster with delicate care. For the first time in her life, she'd made them with butter and sugar. These were special, after all. A message to, a message to say she'd come willingly. Sinking into the pillow, she closed her eyes on widows, fathers, and rushed gaveled on with a smile that counted the seconds to minute. As soon as Sophie's head vanished beneath the window, Agatha shoved the gingerbread heart in her mouth. Only thing these will invite are rats, she thought, crumbs dripping on her black clump shoes. She yawned and set her way and set on her way as the clung clock as a town clock inched past the quarter hour. Upon leaving Sophie after her walk, Agatha had started home, only to have visions of Sophie darting into the woods to find the school for fools and crackbox and ending up gored by a boar. So she returned to Sophie's garden and waited behind a tree, listening as Sophie undid her window, now singing a bird brain song about princess, packed her bags, now singing about wedding bells, put on makeup and her friend's dress. Everyone loves a princess in pink? And finally, finally, tucked herself in bed. Agatha matched his last crumbs with her clump and trudged towards the cemetery. Sophie was safe and would wake up tomorrow feeling like a fool. Agatha wouldn't rub it in. Sophie would need her even more, and she would be there for her. Here in the safe, secluded world, the two of them would make their own paradise. As Agatha tramped up the slope, she noticed an arc of darkness in the forest's torch-lit border. Apparently, the guards responsible for the cemetery had decided what lived inside wasn't worth protecting. As long as the Agatha... As long as Agatha could remember, she had a talent for making people go away. Kids fled from her like a vampire bat. Adults clung to walls as she passed, afraid she might curse them. Even the gravekeepers on the hill bolted at the sight of her. With each new year, the whispers in town grew bit louder. Witch, villain, evil school. Until she looked for excuses not to go out. First days, then weeks. Until she haunted her graveyard home like a ghost.
There were plenty of ways to entertain her at first. She wrote poems, It's a Miserable Life, and Heaven It's a Cemetery with her best were her best. Drew portraits of Reaper that frightened mice more than the real cat did, and even tried her hand at a book of fairy tales, grimly ever after, about beautiful children who die horrible deaths. But she had no one to show these things to until the day Sophie knocked. I got the lick to her ankles as she stepped on her squeaking porch. She heard singing inside. In the school primeval, a school for good and evil. Agatha rolled her eyes and pushed open the door. Her mother back turned shanked surely as she packed a trunk with black capes, room six, and a pointy witch's hat, and pointy black witch's hats. Two towers like ten heads, one for the pure, one for the wicked. Try to escape and you'll always fail. The only way out is through a fairy tale. Planning an exotic vacation, Agatha said. Last time I checked, there's no way out of Gavaldon unless you grow wings. Callus turned. Do you think three capes is enough? She asked, bug eyes bulging, hair a greasy black helmet. Agatha winced at how much it looked like. They're exactly the same, she muttered. Why do you need three? In case you need to lend one to a friend, dear. These are for me? I put two hats in case one gets squashed, a broomstick in case there smells, and a few dr- vials of dog's tons, leather legs, and frog toast. Who knows how long theirs have been sitting there? I guess I knew the answer, but asked anyway. Mother, what do I need capes, hats, and frog toes for? For new with summoning, of course. Caddis trilled. You don't want to get this for, to the school of evil and look like an amateur. I got the kicked off her clumps. Let's put aside the fact that the town doctor believes all this. Why is it so hard to accept that I'm happy here? I have everything that I need. My bed, my cat, and my friend. Well, you should learn from your friend, dear. At least she wants something from life. Calla said, latching the trunk. Really, Agatha, what could be a better destiny than fairy tale witch? I dreamed of going to the school for evil. Instead, the schoolmaster took that idiot Sven, who ended up outwitted by a princess and a useless ogre and set on fire. I'm not even surprised. That boy could barely lace his boots. I'm sure if the schoolmaster could have done it over. He would have taken me. I got the slid under her covers. Well, everyone in this town thinks you're a witch, so you got your wish anyway. Callus looked around. My wish is that you get away from here. This place has made you weak, lazy, and afraid. At least I made something over myself here. You just waste and rot until Sophie comes to walk you like a dog. Agatha stared at her son. Kella smiled brightly and resumed packing. But to take care of your friend, dear. The school for good may look like a festival of roses, but she's in for a surprise. Now go to bed. The schoolmaster will be here soon, and it's easier for you, for him if you're asleep. Agatha pulled the sheets over her head. Sophie couldn't sleep. Five minutes to midnight and no sign of an intruder. She knelt on her bed and peered through the shutters. Around Gaveldon's edge, a thousand-person guard waved torches to light at the forest. Sophie scowls. How could he get past them? That's when she noticed the hearts on her windowsill were gone. He's already here. Three packed pink bags plopped through the window, followed by two glass-slippered feet. I got the lurched up in bed, jolted awake by nightmare. Hal snored loudly across the room, Reaper at her side. Next to Agatha's bed, laid her sat her locked trunk. 
marked Agatha of Gavaldon, one Graves Hill Road, in scraggly writing, along with a pouch of honey cakes for the journey. Chomping cake, Agatha gazed through a cracked window. Down the hill, torches were blazed in a tight circle, but here on Graves Hill, there was just one guard, burly guard left, arms as big as Agatha's whole body, legs like chicken's drumsticks. He kept himself awake by lifting a broken headstone like a barbell. Agatha bit into the last honey cake and looked out the window. Shiny blue eyes looked back at her. Looked back at her. Agatha choked and dove to her bed. She slowly, she slowly lifted her head. Nothing there, including the guard. Then she found him, unconscious over the broken headstone, torch extinguished. Creeping away from him was a bony, hunchbacked human shadow. No body attached. The shadow floated across the sea of, sea of graves without the slightest sign of hurry. It slid under the cemetery gates and shulked down the hill towards the firelit center of Gavaldon. Agatha felt horror strangle her heart. He was real, whoever he was. And he doesn't want me. Relief crashed over her, followed by a fresh wave of panic. Sophie! She should wake her mother. She should cry for help. She should. No time. Feigning sleep, Callus heard Agatha's urgent footsteps in the door closed. She hugged, she hugged Reaper tighter to make sure he didn't wake up. Sophie crouched behind a tree, waiting for the schoolmaster to catch her. She waited, and she waited. That's when she noticed something in the ground. Cookie, cr- cookie crumbs mashed into a footprint. The footprint of a, glump, of a clump so odious, so foul, it could only belong to one person. Sophie's fist curled. Her blood boiled. Hands covered her mouth and a foot booted through her window. Sophie crouched headfirst on her bed and whirled around to see Agatha. You pathetic interfering worm! She screamed before glimpsing the, glim- oh my God, glimpsing the fear in her friend's face. You saw him! Sophie gasped. Agatha put one hand over Sophie's mouth and pinned her to the mattress with the other. As Sophie writhed in protest, Agatha peeped through the window. The crooked, shadow, the crooked shadow drifted into the Gavaldon Square, past the oblivious armed guard, headed straightly for Sophie's house. I got the swallow to scream. Sophie went, wrenched free and grabbed her shoulders. Is he handsome? Like a prince or a proper schoolmaster with spectacles and a waistcoat in. Sophie and Agatha slowly turned to the door. Sophie wrinkled her nose. You could just knock. Couldn't he? Locks cracked. Hinges rattled. Agatha shrunk her across the wall while Sophie folded her hands and flopped her dress as if expecting a brawl visit. Best give him what he wants without fuss. As the door caved, Agatha left off the bed and threw herself against it. Sophie rolled her eyes. Oh, sit down, for goodness sake. Agatha pulled up the knob with all her might and lost her grip. The door slammed open with a deafening crack hurling herself across the, her across the room. It was Sophie's father, white as a ghost. I saw something, he panted, waving his torch. Then Agatha caught the crooked so- shadow on the wall, stepping into his broad silhouette. There, she cried. Stefan sw- swiveled, but the shadow blew out his torch. Agatha grabbed a match from her pocket and lit it. Stefan leapt on the ground unconscious, laid on the ground unconscious. Sophie was gone. Screams outside. Agatha watched shouting villagers chase after Sophie as the shadow dra- dragged her towards the woods. While more and more villagers howled and chased, 
Sophie smiled ear to ear. Agatha lunged through the window and ran after her. But just as the villagers reached Sophie, their torches magically exploded and trapped them in rings of fire. Agatha dodged the gauntlet of fire traps and dashed to save her friend before the shadow pulled her into the forest. Sophie felt her body leave soft grass and rake up against stony dirt. She frowned at the thought of showing up to school in a, so a soiled dress. I really thought there would be footmen, she, she said to the shadow. Or a pumpkin carriage, at least. Agatha ran ferociously, but Sophie had almost disappeared into the trees. All around, flames speed higher and higher, poised to devour the entire village. Seeing the fire sleep, Sophie felt relief, knowing no one would rescue her now. But where is the other child? Where is the one for evil? She'd been wrong about Agatha all along. As she felt herself being pulled into trees, Sophie looked back at the towering blaze and kissed goodbye to the curse of ordinary life. Farewell, Gabaldon. Farewell, little ambition. Farewell, mediocrity. Then she saw Agatha charge through the flames. Agatha, no! Sophie cried. Agatha leapt on top of her, top of her, and both were dragged into darkness. Instantly, the fires around the village were extinguished. They dashed around the woods, and the trees magically grew thick and thorny, locking them out. It was too late. What are you doing? roared Sophie, shoving and scratching Agatha as a shadow pulled them into a pitch black forest. Forest. Agatha thrashed wildly, trying to rest the shadow's grip on Sophie, and Sophie's grip on the shadow. You're ruining everything! Sophie howled. Agatha bit her hand. Sophie brayed and flipped her body so Agatha scraped against dirt. Agatha flipped Sophie back and climbed towards the shadow, her clump smashing Sophie's face. When my hands find your neck, they felt something leave the ground. And something spindly and cold dropped their way around them. Agatha fumbled for a match from her dress, struck it against her bony wrist, and paled. The shadow was gone. They were concoed in creepers of elm, which ferried them up the enormous tree and plopped them on the lowest branch. Both girls glared at each other and tried to catch enough breath to speak. Agatha managed it first. We are going home right now. The branches wobbled, curled back with the sling, and shot them up like bullets. Before either could scream, they landed on another branch. Agatha flailed for a new match, but the branch coiled and snapped them next to the next bow, which bounced them up to the next. How tall is this tree? Agatha shrieked. Ping-ponging up branches, the girls' bodies collided in crashes, dresses ripping on thorns and twigs. Faces slamming into ricocheting limbs until they finally reached the highest burrow. On top of, at the top of the elm tree sat a giant black egg. The girls escaped at it, baffled. The egg tore open, slashing them with dark, gooey yolk. Well, as a colossal bird emerged, make, made only of bones. It took one look at the pair and unleashed an angry screech that rattled the eardrums. Then it grabbed them both in its claws and dove off the tree, tree as it screamed, finally agreeing on something. The bony bird latched through black wood as Agatha frantically lit match after match on the bird's ribs, giving them patches of glinting, of glinting red eyes and bristling shadows. All around, gangly trees snatched at the girls as the bird dipped and climbed to avoid them until thunder exploded ahead and they smashed headfirst into a raging lightning storm. 
Firebolts set trees careening towards them, and they shielded their face from rain, mud, and timber, duck cobwebs, beehives, and vipers, until the bird plunged into deadly briars, and the girls blanched, knowing their end was the pain. Then it was quiet. Agatha! Agatha opened her eyes to rays of sun. She looked down and gasped. It's real. Far beneath them, two soaring castles sprawled around the forest. Ruin Castle glittered in sun mist with pink and blue glass turrets over a sparkling light. They were loomed, blackened and jagged, Spark, sharp spires ripping through thunderclouds like the teeth of a monster. The school for good and evil. The bony bird drifted over the towers of good and loosened Sophie from its claws. I got the clutch of friend in horror, but then saw Sophie's face, glowing with happiness. Aggie, I'm a princess! But the bird dropped Agatha and said, Stunned, Sophie watched Agatha plummet into cotton, pink cotton candy mist. Wait, no! The bird swooped savagely towards the towers of evil, its jaws reaching up for a new prey. No! I'm good! It's the wrong one! Sophie screamed, and without a beat, she was dropped into hellish darkness. Sup, Jack here, and welcome back to my second book club chapter. Of course, as you've just heard the chapter I read it out a few days ago, I recorded that in advance. Uh, we're covering chapter two of The School for an Evil, The Car- the Art of Kidnapping. Right, so I just want to... Sorry about all this noise. Uh, um, I really wanted to just pre-record it so I could, first of all, just compile it into an audiobook and sec- like of my own I made and then upload it. And second, because I wanted to, like, just, yeah, have it as a self-protection, because, like, the pausing every page is awkward. But anyway, for the first page, we can really just show how Sophie will, just, like, from the start. Okay. For also disclaimer, this is unscripted. I scripted the last one, kind of. I put down bullet points. This one's unscripted, so please no hate. I am trying here. And, like, I don't have the most time to make this podcast. It's a hobby, and school has returned, and that means procrastinating has also returned. So, I will have to upload less frequently, like, twice a week for, like, once a week for the book club, once a week fresh out the boat, and then another random upload. Like, this week, I'm doing a closet cleaning thing because I'm cleaning out my closet. It's either going to be two parts or one part, but yeah. Random stuff like that is what I post on season one. Anyway, I think just from the first page, like, we can see how Sophie is undoing her windows. And, like, she is willing to do so much just to get this world that she's fantasized about. Though, like, there's no certain reason, like, to believe it's true. Though everyone believes it, there's not too much. I mean, there is evidence, as we can see from all the missing stuff in, like, the storybooks. But it's like, you'll never know for sure. It could just be that big of a coincidence, you know? Or maybe Mr. Maybe, like, Mr. Delaville? Deville? Maybe he just made it up. Or maybe he's the one kidnapping the children again, like... If I was Sophie, I would be coming up with crazy conspiracy theories, not undoing my windows. Because then what's to stop someone else from, like, breaking in? Anyway. 
we can see, like, also how, okay, enough from, like, the, the pages about, like, the kidnappings, there's not really much to elaborate on, but I think, first of all, I just think I commend this book for coming up with such great ideas, like, I really like, I don't know why, I just really like the way it's written, this, like, I feel like other things feel more lazily written, but this one, it, ha it takes the time to, like, not the, the lazy books are bad, I mean, I, I, I can never have the patience to write my own book, though I've tried, but I, I feel like the vocabulary, just, like, using vocabulary that might have, like, been used back then, because this is supposed to be set in an older time with no electronics, and in a different world, I think, I, I think it's really detailed and, like, the different words. I feel like this is the vibe I get when reading these, this book series is, like, so, it feels old-fashioned and amazing. But, yeah, I really like how, also, this is kind of realistic. The villagers can't seem to find a way to explain this disappear these disappearances, but I also find it funny how, like, the adults are just ignoring the kids and just going back to their conspiracy theories. I mean, that's kind of realistic, but not like the adults are doing conspiracy theories, more like the the kids have important points to raise in real life, but adults are only following the rules that are given to them and like, not in law, but just like, in, I guess in the theory of being an adult, which is not really a thing, just like following stuff like that. But like kids are a lot more open-minded, I can see in, a lot, in like a lot of things in real life. Sorry about this noise. That's just me, like, doing, like, tapping and, like, clicking and I'm clicking a pen cap. I do that sometimes when I'm, like, re like recording something or audio. Even when I'm, like, recording something to sound good. I also really like how this doesn't, like, I really like the narration. Like, I, I like the... The, like sometimes exposition and like telling old stuff can get super boring and like kind of dry but I feel like this is always very interesting and like it always feels very rich and full of like stuff even though it's it's exposition that feels just as interesting as like the dialogue parts again etc 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 I also like how we're introduced in the exposition to the school because it i don't know usually the exposition is just meant to serve like a small purpose i mean not usually but like i feel like in books i read which is again not the majority that's just books i read i find that to be the case and i really like when exposition is like there for a purpose other than like character development i love character development don't get me wrong i just feel like character development shouldn't like mean putting a like a chapter long piece of exposition that ultimately is only for a tiny bit of development though development is very good and it makes like it was very interesting we haven't gotten any character development yet but i just feel like this this like this is way more interesting it's like way more it's way more entertaining and it kind of pulls you in the first i find the first chapter of a book even in the great series, tends to be boring, and I feel like this series really, like, defies the expectations. But, yeah. I also like, in the 
like the elaboration of how Sophie, even though she's convincing herself she's like the best, she feels jealous. I mean, she would like, even though she's not actually narrating her like eye point of view, it's clear like we're seeing her thoughts. She's kind of jealous of Hornara. Hornara? Hornara. I'm just gonna say Hornara. That's what I've always said. I find it like interesting how she's jealous of Hornara, even though she keeps like thinking about how Hornara is not good enough. She still seems kind of jealous of Hornara and also the little boys Hornara has with uh, Stefan. Just because, like, I really. I find it hard to express how much I love this book, but yeah, I, I really like how even though Sophie's like trying to convince herself she's better from her na narration, we can still feel how she's kind of jealous, for example. Um, like how her father's whispering to Hornara and then she's saying like how if Horn if Hornana or oh my god, Horn Hornara's little sons would be the ones that could have been taken. Who would be super worried and serious. Again, she's jealous of them, but she doesn't want to admit it. I, which I really like. I feel like that really fits Sophie's character. She is kind of arrogant, but in the end, I think she's kind of arrogant to cover her insecurities. I don't know. Just from what I'm reading so far, I'm trying to read this and do a book club as if. I have never read this before, but I have read this before. I'm trying, but I feel like I also will probably be accidentally giving spoilers for the future of the book, even though I'm trying, okay, guys? I try, but, like, it's hard. It's hard, okay? I'm trying, though. Anyway, next page. I really like, again, how even though it would make, yeah. I like how even though it would make it her happier, how it would, I mean, sorry, how it would make him happier, how it would make Stefan happier, Sophie just doesn't want to do it, even though it would, like, make Stefan's life go up for the better, even though, like, it could. I don't know. Even though... Okay, let me try to explain. Even though it could, even though it could make her father happy, Sophie just can't seem to do it, even if she knows, like, if she really thinks she's going to be taken, even if she knows she's going to be taken according to her logic, she feels like she, she can't give her father happiness, which I find is a very good thing to her character. She tries to be good, but she's also kind of selfish, and when, and she doesn't even sometimes realize she's not being good. She's being sort of a different kind of evil and selfish because of this. Okay. Next. I like also how she makes like the cookies with flour. I think sugar and butter. That's what it says. Yeah, sugar and butter. I really like the details and like how it's saying she did something she'd never done before just because she was so desperate i think sophie in this is very desperate even though she's trying to like be certain and know she's gonna be taken she just seems very desperate she seems 
very sensitive about the fact that she might not be taken, just like from what I can see, but mm, I would just be speaking nonsense. Um, and then we switch to Agatha's point of view, where she's like eating the gingerbread hearts. And again, I think I really like Agatha because she's like no nonsense and she's actually making sense. I would totally believe Agatha if I was Sophie, just because would you really believe that there's a school for good and evil? Would you really? I mean, I, I just think Agatha's character is very smart and like, I really like her character. I think she, her character makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I like how she's like willing to go very far to prove a point because she doesn't have much else to do in the small village of Gabaldon. She would like, li like, um, listen to Sophie getting ready and stuff like that just to prove a point. And also, I think she is a feeling like she's one of the only people in the town who doesn't truly believe the legend. Maybe just her and Stefan, because at the beginning, he's like, no one's going to, no one, like, something, I, something about the schoolmaster not being real. I don't know. And then Agatha starts to go to her home in the graveyard. And then she is shocked to find out that her mom is, like, actually believing in this legend. And so she's like... Again, she's, like, also being no-nonsense. She's, like, seriously, you believe in this? And then I really like her mother being, like, well, obviously you're going. I don't know. I don't like it. I just, like, I feel like... And the mom serves a very important role because it makes Agatha actually kind of, like, think she's truly the only one who doesn't believe in the, quote, stupid fairy tale. Because, I mean, not actually, I don't think that's a quote, but, like, I also like her disbelief that her mom would actually think she would go to an evil school and how she can't believe that her mom thinks that she's evil. I like that. And she, even though she knows, like, what these things are for, she just, like, she's hoping that her mom actually doesn't think this. Um, yeah. Mom rants about how she could go to the school. And then we switch back to Sophie's point of view. Um, so Sophie's like, notices the hearts are eaten, she can't sleep, and then she hears a thump on the door after Agatha, like, slams into the, like, like is cra crashes into the house, and then Sophie's father comes in, so like, I see something. And then, so, and Agatha saw the silhouette, and then blah, blah, blah. Um, Agatha, like, chases Sophie through the flames. And I think the fact that Sophie and Agatha are supposed to be best friends, but Sophie doesn't want Agatha to come there with her is, like, very telling. She, hmm. Okay, um, sorry, blank space. Uh, I really like their dynamic. I feel like it's very more realistic than a lot of dynamics. Oh, they just met and they're instantly best friends. -ish. I, I really like the fact of like how they butt heads and how like they don't have a perfect relationship at the start, but they might at the end, we don't know yet. I also like how Sorry, let me just uh, get back to the page. 
I also like how, like, her last words are just, like, being, like, I'm above everyone else. For example, where it says, where she said, like, her last words are literally farewell mediocrity. The fact that she just believes she's above that. Again, very telling for Sophie's character. I don't hate her character. I just feel like her character is very easy to dislike. She is very... She has very big dreams, but, like, it's annoying. Her personality is very annoying. She is very persistent, which is a good trait, but, like... She's very persistent to, pers persistent to always prove her point, but... Yeah. I just find it annoying how she believes she's above everyone else in her village. Because she thinks she's better and more good, even though all she really does is like dress up look pretty that's that's perfect that's super good that's because like wearing a frilly pink pink dress is what makes you truly good that's like sophie's character very much is an attempt to be good but not truly understanding what the character like what the meaning of good is boy and also the fact how sophie claims she's good but then she also lashes out at people like for example radley and also next section she's like lashing out at agatha and she's fighting her just because like agatha was chasing sophie because she didn't know where she was going and she thought she was gonna like be in danger again i think sophie she just doesn't understand the meaning of like truly being good because she believes it's about your image if you're popular enough popular um she, again she thinks it's about doing good deeds to look good and also just like looking good in general i've repeated this many times i just think sophie and agatha's dynamic is very good but i mean i i i just don't like sophie i'm sorry like at least right now right now and then they land in a tree the a bird takes them to the castles and then but then Sophie thinks she's going to go to the Tower of Good, but then um, Agatha is released instead, and then Sophie is turn is like drops in the Tower of Evil. I think it's very telling. They she thinks it's a mistake because she truly thinks she's good, even though I don't I think she truly believes her definition of good, which is looking pretty and looking good and doing things simply to get credit she thinks that's truly what being good is but she also like is willing to say her friend is friggin evil and that she turns out to be a villain in a fairy tale by the way they would have to combat each other if they were like if she was like the villain i thought was the villain i'm not sure how that would work out but my point is i think the fact that sophie believes all that and she just truly believes she's better it is very telling and i think it just really plays into how sophie she's ignorant even though she again she just thinks she'd automatically be good but yeah that's it for the chapter i i did a lot more like dynamic and just praising over the book but yeah i just thought it would it looked very good like, the book series, this is one of my favorite series. This is actually, I think, my first favorite standalone book. I think maybe Ricky Arden books would also be there, but uh, I haven't read them in a while. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I will be releasing another episode tomorrow or 
whenever it takes, whenever I finish cleaning my closet. But yeah, love you, my jumping Jacklins. Um, stay safe, yeah, and also, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the book club. If you want to, please just voice message me and give me suggestions for the next book. If not, I might just, like, do the next book in the series, though. But, yeah, I really like this, this like, this book club aesthetic, so just tell me what you think in a voice message. I will play your voice messages in the podcast, however, just be aware. Anyway, love you, my jumping Jacklins, and stay safe.